Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Happy New Year is the first thing I want to say to all of you guys. I missed you. We took a little break over the holidays and hope you did too. But we are back. And I just want to mention again, if you are listening to this on your favorite podcast app, that is great. But if you also want to see the episodes, we have them on Demand Gen TV. And the fastest way to get to that channel, which is our YouTube channel, you can either search YouTube for Demand Gen or you can type in in your browser, demandgen.tv, and that will take you right to the YouTube channel. Uh, this is your host, Dave Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. And today on the program, I'm joined by one of my colleagues, one of the people on the BDO Digital team, and she works a lot with enterprise clients. And if any of you have ever worked in a large organization, uh, enterprise class, uh, you know that change can be difficult, and some people don't embrace change as easier uh, as easy as others. So since we're at the beginning of the year and probably you've got some marketing plans that are changed from last year and you're implementing new systems and new methodologies and new process, what a great way to kick off the year and talk about how you can be an agent of change and take some advice from Patty. So let's get Patty. Patty, Remish, how are you? Good. How are you, Dave? Good. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. It looks nice and bright and sunny wherever you are. Where is that? (laughs) Uh, we're in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. So it is sunny. It's a little cold today, but uh, you know, that's a trade-off for living in a great place. I was at BDO Digital's headquarters last week in Chicago and it was a whopping uh seven degrees. So it's nice, nice to be yeah. back in California. Okay. Well, let's dive in. You uh Patty, for those of you who don't know Patty Remis, she is a senior advisor on our team and as I said, consults with some of the largest companies in the world. You've you not only advise uh companies that have products, but you advise clients in the professional services area. And, and one of your clients were the largest professional services company in the world. So That's no, na- we're not trying to keep it a secret, but we just have to respect confidentiality. And because we want to really talk with you guys uh, and give you advice on how to be an agent of change, I think for their benefit, we'll just, we'll just keep, keep the innocence, keep the uh, anim- anonymity. So let's start off with a question I have for you. Uh, you're leading a workshop. I'm going to put you in a scenario okay. and let's say it's a lead management workshop and you're talking about change the sales processes and change probably to some marketing processes, if not systems. How do you approach a workshop like that going into it, knowing that you might be met with some resistance? So I'm asking you the question because I think a lot of the people listening and watching are constantly in the situation where they're bringing in a new piece of technology, or they want to change a, a, a nurture stream or a lead scoring uh, algorithm, or just how sales and marketing are working together. And you can create a lot of anxiety sometimes going into a meeting when you know you're going to be met with some resistance or just, hey, why are we changing? So what advice do you have? Yeah, that's true. And it does happen quite often. Uh, by the time that clients hire us, they know they need to change doesn't mean they're always ready and it depends on who's in the room at the time. Um, But in general, the first thing we do is really listen, right? So oftentimes we have team members that may not have actually worked together a lot in the past, maybe they have, but it seems like in the initial workshops, we facilitate a lot of conversations, 
actually with the teams themselves, um, sort of airing the grievances, not the grievances, but the problems at hand, the problems that need to be addressed, right? And just really getting all that stuff on the table. And it helps us as uh, advisors and as demand jet experts to really get the lay of the land of the teams, but also to let people who may not have a voice on it or maybe not feel that they have a voice or maybe for whatever reason haven't had the chance to really talk about where they see the blockers or maybe some of the things that are holding them back or being able to say, hey, I actually don't think we should change things. So we just kind of start out with that letting people talk, right? And that's step number one before we get into kind of the frameworks and all the stuff we're about to work and build together. And these may be instincts to you, uh, but how do you, how do you size up and kind of profile people, right? There are some Mm -hmm. personality types that are um, much, have a great appetite for change and flexibility and spontaneity and others that need quite a bit of uh, proof and credibility and thoughtfulness to uh, making changes. So how do you size up the room and try to figure out who's who in the zoo when you're in a, a new environment? Like that? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind is the people who kind of have the lo- loudest voice or the mo- most authority and those who don't. So one trick there is to get really good at just understanding all the roles and responsibilities and then really calling on people, if you will. It's not like it's school, but um, at the end of an engagement with um, I have another client that is in professional services or manufacturer. And by the time we actually presented the final recommendations, I had about 10 people I could actually draw from knowing that they had stuff to say and knowing how much they knew about the processes and they were more close to it than the people were presenting to, but really drawing in those people uh, and starting with that early, getting those conversations and knowing like, Hey, Joe, making up the name, (laughs) you know, we know you have something to say about this. And that not only gets the right information, but it really empowers people. People want to be heard. And by the time, like I said, by the time they get to us, they know the change is inevitable and needed and they want to be included. And I think the trick is bring them along, right? Making part of that change. Yeah. What, um, let's say someone's relatively uh, not not the leader of an organization, because I think leaders listening to this have navigated these type of challenges and environments before. But let's say you're either relatively new in your career or have a few years under your belt and you're the person responsible for bringing new ideas to people that, you know, maybe you're intimidated by because of their role within the organization or their tenure in the organization. What advice would you give to someone who's got good ideas and you know, let's face it, we hire a lot of younger people and people right. who have less experience because they come with fresh ideas and a different uh, perspective. So what advice do you do you give for them when they may feel a little intimidated to bring a new idea? Well, the, the good thing is in the work that we do, that there's so much good success out there that can kind of prove the point, if you will. And when you start talking about generating revenue, that can be the most interesting topic in the room. So even if uh, a company that we work with isn't proving, you know, marketing impact on revenue pipeline and whatnot. We've got plenty of examples that do. And then when we get into kind of more in depth, bringing in, uh, you know, the work that we do with the frameworks that we develop, there's a lot of logic to it. And I find that the kind of fresher, younger thinkers, maybe not younger, but fresher, newer people to the organization, um, 
they tend to grasp on to the kind of ideas that we bring to the table and really get them and then empowering that person to sort of speak our language, if you will. Right. That's what we've seen a lot of success coaching through both the success that we've helped clients bring to the table, but then also really showing like, how does this work in your organization and how can I make it work and what's it going to take? Uh, and how are you willing as that newer person or fresher person? Like, what's your willingness to, to, to drive forward with that change or with those kind of new ideas? Yeah, I'm sure. Well, we know one of the reasons that we are hired to help clients with whether it's the implementation of a system or just their go to market and demand generation strategy is we're bringing the recipes of what hundreds, if not thousands of other companies have yeah, done or companies similar in their space. So we get that advantage because we're hired for that. Like you said, when. When someone hires us, they have an appetite for change and they want those uh, recipes. And and certainly, I think the advice I would add on to what you provided is giving examples of what the competition is doing, where it's yeah. where it's good, not because sometimes your competition is not doing the right things, of course, but giving examples of competition or other companies in your space and doing your research and and coming prepared. And the, there's some there's some subtle things too. I mean, I've written I've read articles about just communication style. My advice to others is look for the leaders in your organization, how they communicate and how they prepare for meetings and try to emulate that if it's working within the organization. From a presentation standpoint, are there a lot of facts and figures given? I mean, how often do you see someone backing up uh, a new process with hard evidence or is it more, uh, more subjective sounding? Mm, I think it's both. Right. So there's, you know, when we go into organizations and we're doing presentations, both on kind of current state and you know what's possible, we find a lot of organizations doing a lot of things and they may not have like a home or a foundation to rest those strategies on. So there's, you know, oh, we're doing this, we're doing this. And then here's the, the metrics to back it up. Right. And so that's how clients present to us. And we try to First, put the strategies and the frameworks together and then know where to apply the numbers and the conversions and the, how we're going to measure all this stuff. Um, so it really truly is a, a combination of both, depending on really the point of the, of the project. And um, the other thing, too, is that has occurred to me really recently is that, you know, we talk a lot about the buyer journey and moving um, customers along their journey. Well, our customers are also on a journey. And so depending on where they're at and their maturity level and what they need to hear, that really drives how we communicate and how we present and how then we coach. Uh, Because oftentimes what we do is being presented in, maybe we're not even there anymore, or maybe we're riding along on a couple of presentations, but really meeting that customer where they are and using that language and then knowing the appropriate level of metaphor versus metrics, if you will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There are certain personality types I find that, they want the facts. They want the want the figures. Um, depends on if you have a more IT oriented audience, more technical right. audience, you might need some of the more detail. We did a recent project together, as as you know, for in a large client, and there were seventy five change requests. I think I'm I, at least I know it was right around that number. Yep. Providing information to IT around you know significant changes to the C well changes to the CRM. Some significant, some less significant. A less significant might be just a a pickless value change where others are, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more layouts or even new objects that are getting uh, created. How do you find when you're when you're in meetings and you're talking about a major change initiative, 
what advice do you have for like, if you are the advisor and there's other members of the team capturing and getting the information so that any kind of subjectivity or discussions around change are really captured and documented in a way that lead to a system change or lead to a well-documented process change. I, I find that when you're advising or consulting, it can be difficult to be providing the advice and recommendations, but also capturing at the same time what the group is deciding upon, looking for any tricks of the trade that you have there. Yeah, well, any of my clients will say this about me and our teams. We're so big on definitions, right? And that starts from the very, very, very start. What are we going to call this stage of the funnel? And sometimes it gets to seem maybe redundant, but by the end of the project, everybody is saying the same thing. So that's one kind of advice is getting really clear on definitions and making sure that, uh, you know, we have one client who, you know, we developed the demand funnel. Of course, there's a sales funnel. And they're like, you need to put demand in front of every funnel on your side. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, got it. You know, and just making sure that those definitions, especially in a large org where things can mean a lot of things, right? And making sure that as we go through these workshops of sales and marketing alignment, that we find different ways of talking about uh, processes and strategies there. So making sure that that's well documented. But, but in terms of, you know, like the example that you gave uh, about when it's going to be handed over to uh, development team or implementation team, I think one of the beautiful things about the work that we do is that in our kind of core projects with lead management, lead scoring, lead manager, all of the strategy work that we develop and all of that documentation that we work through with the business leaders, it also serves as this framework and map for development teams. So by the time it's ready to be implemented, not only are the business leaders online in line, but they understand what the technology team is going to do. The technology teams know what they're going to do. And it's all really kind of developed in one sort of core set of documentation. So I find that really uh, wonderful and one of the reasons I love the work that we do. And, you know, you were the founder of the work that we do. So thank you for setting those those precedences for us. But uh, it's really neat to see uh, as we go through these workshops. And we work with all kinds of clients, with all kinds of different team members. Sometimes it's, you know, when I, I wrapped up one assessment we did, it was primarily the business people and a few technology people brought along. but. Once we really get into defining what's going to change in systems and what's going to change in processes, having this set of really great documentation that we can deliver yeah. that everyone can read, everybody can understand. I mean, I handed over a lead management framework to a member of the CR, CRM team the other day, and she's like, this is fantastic. Thank you. And it you know, warms my heart when I can help anybody do their job better. Right. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for folks listening, we do a lot of lead management consulting what Patty mm -hmm. mentioned about the demand funnel. Uh, for those of you familiar with the Sears Decisions uh, waterfall, uh, we call it the demand funnel and, and working with our clients to define each stage of the funnel, what they're going to call the top stage, what they're going to call, you know, uh, the next stage is getting down to terms like MQL, marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead, uh, and having these discussions and agreeing to what those stage definitions are is critical before you can operationalize it in a system. And that's very subjective, depending on people's yes, backgrounds or, or what they've done at other companies or what's currently in the system. And so bringing about change. But next, next place I want to talk about is dealing with other departments. So marketing is often a very huge catalyst for change. 
new technology, new systems, new sales enablement tools, and rolling out, like you said, a, a lead management process. What do you do in the situation where you have a large sales organization? Because again, you deal with a lot of large clients and they've got maybe many different geographies, many different teams. And the idea of rolling out something new to everybody is daunting for them. That's like, this is such a big decision that so much pre-work often gets done and that can delay what should be a more agile uh, environment. So what do, you, what do you do when, instead of just trying to conquer the world, any, any tricks there, Patty? Yeah, we've found a lot of success with um, first, you know, understanding who in the organization we can get on board with to help us develop frameworks and models, right? Because not everybody has the time or the bandwidth or even the aptitude to really create those definitions we talked about. And then throughout that process, there's a lot of hair pulling. How can we possibly enable this for the whole organization? There's too many differences. And so we just keep plugging along on the models. And then uh, what we really find success with is finding a couple of groups, businesses, whatever, however the org is structured, to create some tests or some pilots, right? So we develop these frameworks. They've been agreed upon with, you know, sales and marketing, a lot of marketing ops people, some IT people, whatever. And once we, we feel really good about this next kind of maturity in the Banjan uh, process for the company, we pick a couple groups that, Either they're chosen or they raised their hand or we, we did one recently and we had about 20 submissions. We narrowed down to four or five and then we pilot this thing and we set a parameters up of what we can do for a you know, minimal viable product. And it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be the probably end state or probably it'll be in a year and a half, but it proves the concept and it starts to prove that it can be done. And I find it also really creates some healthy competition with that organization. Yeah. Well, I want to mature what I'm doing too. And, and people want to get on board. And it, it really allows uh, the organization to develop these early adopters within the work that we do and to be those people willing to go through. And it's exciting. Yeah. We get it's, so much excitement with these groups and they're just so great and dedicated. <laughs> it's it, a lot of fun. It's a fascinating um, psychology around the pilot. Uh, and I'm glad you you brought that up because that certainly works well, uh, especially in large organizations. But even if you have like an inside sales team and an outside sales team or an SDR team, you know, you have these different groups, this this recommendation of what Patty's saying to do a pilot, it does a couple of things. Pilots, people are more okay if pilots fail. It's a nice way to try something and failure is okay. It's a it's a it's a positive outcome because we learned from the pilot that we need to do these things instead. So it's you know if you're talking about a change management initiative and you roll it out as a pilot, uh, it's a different for some reason it's just a very different uh, way that certainly executive leadership understands it and embraces it and others. But you also are talking about the psychology of having a pilot group, and I would say that comes to the the four letter F word, but it but it's but it's not the one. That people, everyone just maybe went to. It's it's FOMO, uh, and people have a fear of missing out. So by creating a pilot organization, you can create. I I, I liked where you were saying is uh, people almost applying or or raising mm -hmm. their hand to be the yeah. first to try this out because they want to be on the cutting edge. Uh, but but using a pilot and then recruiting a team that's willing to go down the journey with you. 
uh, creates fear of missing out by the other groups and will hopefully get better adoption when you're ready to roll it out. Uh, exactly. Those broad yeah. of works. And there's a lot of optimization that comes from that too. Once you've done the the MVP pilot, uh, you can really see like, well, what hurt, what worked, what didn't work, can we get better? Yeah. And typically, by the time the pilot's over, some of those parallel path things can be done, fixing the data or enabling a content strategy practice, like the two big pain points we always see: data and content. Yeah. <laughs> and, and knowing that and doing a pilot within a box or a, a set of parameters and time frame, it allows work to be done in parallel that can really add into that optimization so that by the time you know that pilot's over and you're getting to the next wave of maturity you've also done these other really great foundational things yeah decide too what for all of you what does success look like when you start a pilot that you mentioned content so let's use let's use a, a podcast or demand gen tv as an example if you wanted to as a marketer bring about a new content strategy and say hey for 2022 Let's get into podcasting. Let's do a podcast for our group or our department or our organization. You could decide to do that and go all in and, and do try to do an episode every single week. Or you could say, we're going to pilot the podcast and we're going to do 10 episodes. And then what does success look like? Maybe success is just, did we learn the tools and process uh, to create 10 forms of content and publish them? Maybe okay. success looks like, a certain number of listeners or a certain number of followers or subscribers. So you get to define in a pilot what the success criteria is. And typically you can size down instead of having a big, hairy, audacious goal, but you can pare it down to something that's certainly more manageable and, and doable. So that's, that's my recommendation when you're trying to undertake something that's really new for an organization or department, maybe consider that pilot and whether that's a pilot group or piloting an initiative in a smaller way instead of maybe doing a, a large-scale trade show uh maybe you want to try with some some smaller events and uh see if that works uh, for you rather than go all in on a big gigantic show although it looked like ces still people are not doing big gigantic shows that was just a couple of weeks ago it looked like looked like ghost town i also want to talk to you patty about the rollout aspect of it so now you've had a workshop you've done some consulting. Let's say, let's go back to the lead management framework. You've agreed upon the taxonomy. Uh, you've documented and put the operational parts in place. I, I don't think I would be the only person to say that marketing sometimes feels that sales doesn't follow up or sales doesn't um, adhere to the new process. And I'm curious uh, for your recommendations on how, when you roll something out, uh, to not assume that if if you build it, they will come. What do you do to make sure that the pilot or the program is not unsuccessful because people didn't embrace it? So how do you make sure that you get the new changes and, and new behaviors and new system adoption done? Yeah, and you know, I think starting from the marketing side, right? We had one client say, well, we just have to get this campaign out. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what you just did. <laughs> so we're trying to change. So there's there's that change up in the, you know, in the because we work with a lot of more uh, marketing ops people to do this work and then just roll out the marketing teams. But then in terms of your example with um, sales teams and inside sales and however they're structured um, and, and, you know, making sure that those service level agreements are acted upon and leads are moving through. If those teams, I and mean, when we work with, these are large orgs. There's always sales uh, professionals in on those early conversations and putting that leadership in place 
at the beginning, right? Because people are ultimately going to follow what their leaders uh, lead by example. And then rolling all the way through a pilot, if you're in a pilot and there's a certain, you know, now you've been chosen or nominated to do this pilot to prove something really important for the organization, we've found that, you know, people step up. They want to do the right thing because it's at this point highly visible. And without the participation of those pilot groups being, you know, really thorough and really thoughtful, um, at that point, there's enough engagement with those teams that they really want to do the right thing, right? And they really want to make it work. And because they've been along with us at the early stages, they get it, right? And that comes down to definitions. <laughs> Why bother, yeah. you know? What about cultural aspects to change, right? When you, when you start a company, you create a culture. And starting a company is a major change initiative, right? You're either changing the way that particular product or service has been done or you've invented something. So everybody in your new organization is on board to go change the world. Um, and as the company gets more mature, uh, so, I mean, some people are adverse to change because it's work. They don't want to take on more work, which is unfortunate. But what are you seeing sometimes clients do uh, to embrace a large change initiative? I've, I've seen some things where, you know, from T-shirts to, um, you know, just, just ways to rally a team and create a team spirit. But I'm curious to see what you're seeing, especially in the age of, of COVID. And most people are now working together remotely. Are you seeing anything that teams do from a cultural standpoint to bring I around think, a passion for change? You know, when it's done right, again, it's coming from a leadership belief that change is good and understanding that there's going to be this uh, change curve. It's sort of like the grief curve, denial, confusion, doubt, moving up into acceptance, you know, problem solving and ownership, right? Yeah. And so um, that's a very common expectation, if you will. But I think in its simplest, simplest form is bringing people along with the change and making them feel that they're a part of it. Because if you're part of something, you know, it's a lot easier to get to that acceptance, problem solving and ownership if you own it along the way instead of having a change thrown in your lap and just that's when it's not done well. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of the, the culture shift, you know, I've seen too t-shirts and logos and, you know, all that stuff, which is helpful, you know, and it can be meaningful if people believe it. If you give someone a t-shirt with a saying on it that they're not accepting of it, mm -hmm. it's just a t-shirt, right? Mm -hmm. But if it's something they built and they helped, then you wear that t-shirt with a lot of pride. Yeah. Let's do something uh, for everybody listening. You can't see it, so I'll describe what I'm doing for those of you who are watching us. I'm going to take my hand right now, and we're talking about change, and I'm going to take up my hand and just physically like put my hand at the camera and have at Patty, will you pretend to hold your hand up? Well, <laughs> hold your hand up and then just, I'm going to push on your hand. So I'm pushing your hand and what would be your natural reaction to me pushing on your physical hand? Push back. Right. <laughs> and I've, I've done this in workshops, especially around ABM workshops back in the day, because ABM is a huge set of change initiatives. And I said that when you come to someone and, and, push on them, the instinct is to push back. We're biologically wired to do that. And yet if you come with your hand out and your palm out, and I say, hey, Patty, we're gonna take on a new initiative. 
would you come work with me as part of this pilot and be part of a special group? And it's completely different physical and mental reaction to it. Yeah. And I just want all of you guys to really think that when you go into these meetings for new initiatives, are you sounding like your palm is up and you're pushing on them? Or are you asking them to come on a journey with you and even listen to your language, which is, are you using the word you and we, um, which they may take as you, like I'm literally talking about Patty, where maybe I'm talking about the department or uh, another interpretation they have. So really watch your language when you are talking about change and maybe challenging someone. So if I say, you know, Patty, you've always done it this way. Maybe I'm talking about our advisory group or something even broader. And I got to be careful that it, that Patty, who may hear it as, I think he's talking about me and, you know, versus the eyes, you know, we want to do it this way. I'd really like you to do this. And then it becomes personal. And then it becomes me versus you. Who, who's smarter? Who's making the, the better decision? Let's talk about people who make decisions and put their careers at risk and how you deal with situations like that. Because some of the things that we certainly advise and work with our clients on, some people might feel like, wow, if I get this wrong or we get this wrong, then it could, it could challenge my promotion or my role or even my department. How do you navigate that? How do you help people get through some of those big decisions where they feel like their neck's on the line? Yeah, you know, I think that that is definitely a, a fear when some of these large changes come about. Well, this is going to make me irrelevant. Is it going to change the work that I do and I'm no longer needed? And Or the other one is, are you just adding so much more that I have to do this too? And we like to frame it up as, you don't really have to work anymore. <laughs> you just have to work differently. And the risk of not doing it is greater than the risk of doing it, mm -hmm. right? So staying stuck in uh, the same old wheel of, you know, cycles, the work, um, and not going along with a bigger initiative and knowing what's possible, you know, that is kind of the short answer. But then it's also just painting that vision for people so that they know if they embark on it, yeah, it's going to be bumpy initially, but it's bumpy for everybody. Is it a perfect science? Absolutely not. This isn't chemistry, it's marketing, right? And it's something that we, you know, knowing that some things are going to be directional and other things are going to be tightly measured, but really painting that picture, understanding that the work will be different and hopefully better and optimized, not that much more work. And that if you apply your skills and you want to improve, that you're going to be more relevant and actually secure your future even more solidly with the work that we're doing. Yeah. And I think people really see it. I mean, by the time we've gone through these workshops and we've shown the work that we're doing, and I don't know, I feel like I get a lot of questions and pretty much always have an answer for it. Sometimes the answer is it depends. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I had one service person say, oh, you're giving that. I know that answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it does depend. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, but just that there always is a, another, you know, it's like no, no leads left behind. Well, no questions left behind either. Right. And there's always, a, there's always an answer and there's always a path forward. Yeah. Also, uh, remember everyone that it, it's a bit of a hero's journey. Um, I liked where you talk about, you know, almost the stages of grief that you go through. Uh, I find a lot of change initiatives are much like the traditional story of the hero's journey, where there's a call to action. Mediocracy and what's currently happening is no longer going to work. So there's a call to action to bring about change. 
and just know whether it's, you know, um, Pretty Woman, which was a hero's journey story, or Luke Skywalker, or any great movie is, is always the, the hero's journey format for the most part, you're going to run into obstacles along the way and run into some challenges that you're going to overcome. And you'll overcome them through hard work or through finding a mentor like Obi-Wan or uh, what have you. Uh, I guess in Pretty Woman, it was the, I think it was the concierge at the hotel that gave her some really good advice. So you, you find your advisors and they get you through it. Where I want to get to the point in this hero's journey, what I don't see a lot of marketing teams do is celebrate, Patty, or teams mm. celebrate. They work on a huge initiative, they get to the end of it, and they don't take the time, A, to communicate the success of the program, but to celebrate the journey that they have been on together. Are you seeing any more of that, less of that in the age of COVID? Or Because I, I think it's, it's an important stage of a project to have that celebration so that all the hard work and energy is celebrated as a team. Yeah, and you know, because we're uh, consultants or advisors, or you know, we don't always participate in the celebration, but we really try to set up teams for success to celebrate and support with whatever results and whatnot, you know. But I think as we're working with teams along the way and the little celebrations that we get <laughs> to yeah. get to the top of the mountain, that's where it's really interesting because uh, I have a daughter who does long long hikes and i said eve when why is this fun you know you've got another eight miles the next day and feet hurt and it's raining and i sounds miserable and she goes so what do you think about she goes i think about what i'm going to eat when i get to the camp <laughs> i'm like okay and she said mom it's type too fun and maybe that's a phrase that I'm just i don't, I don't know. know that one well, so type one fun is where we're having a great time or, you know, we're laughing or whatever. Type two fun is where you're going through something really, really hard. And then you get to it and then you sit down and you get that cup of hot tea or whatever you have at the end of a long hike. Mm -hmm. And you sit back and you talk to your fellow hikers and you're like, that was so great. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that sense of accomplishment right. that you know that you get when you yeah. work really, really hard. And those are the kind of like mini celebrations we try to share with our clients because we go through this with them together. Yeah. You know, like I go through and develop decks for leadership teams that are presented by my clients to their leadership teams. And I sit around the calls and I feel the sense of pride and they feel a sense of pride. And it's just, it's really fun to go through that knowing that it's a hard road to get there. Yeah. And then when you get those successes, it's all the much sweeter because you've worked so hard to get there. It's so important. I like that type two to success, um, type two happiness, the, that point that you made. And I think people are uncomfortable. If you ever go into a room full of people and you're like, Hey, let's go around and do introductions. People struggle with that. People are not always comfortable talking about themselves. Um, people are not always comfortable talking about the success that they've had, especially if they're worried if someone else might interpret it differently. But right. gotta say, if you work on an initiative, big or small, do communicate to the right people at the right time earlier than later the success of it and make mm -hmm. sure that that communication is not in an email where all right. tone and energy is is sanitized uh, make sure that you communicate it in a meeting and and celebrate as a team and you know we've done party in a box before it used to be something that we did for our clients almost after the delivery of every major initiative where we would send them a party in a box and it was because we knew they wouldn't take that time to celebrate 
Uh, and that was fun. I'd love to resurrect something like that. Well, Patty, thank you for, for joining me, taking time out of your busy uh, schedule to share some recipes and tricks for success. I want to recap a couple things for you guys. Some things that I took away from my conversation with Patty. One is when you approach the room uh, or the initiative, I'd be thinking about sizing up who the decision makers are and who the main influencers are. And make sure if you can, before that meeting, get them on your side, maybe share some information before the meeting that will help them be a stronger advocate for you. Uh, culture is important, especially around a major change initiative. We talked about how important documentation is and really getting that uh, correct. Uh, use a pilot, use the word or use literally the approach of creating a pilot initiative with a group or organization. Create a little FOMO where you can get some other people to want to uh, participate and certainly communicate success. Take success uh, stories back to the team and, and share evidence of what that success was. Uh, that will not only help you with the initiative that you've um, put together and get recognition for that, but it will help you on your personal brand and the team's brand that you're a team that knows how to bring about change and be an agent of change. So thanks for joining me and Patty on this episode. Uh, before I let you go, be sure if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you've got ability to click subscribe and drop comments. Would love to hear from you guys uh, any questions you have around being an agent of change or any uh, questions you have around marketing initiatives that you are dealing with. And be sure to uh, connect with us on LinkedIn. If, if I'm not in your network and you're looking for someone to have as a, a back mentor or coach for any major initiatives you're doing in marketing, you've got not only me and my team. So happy to connect with you guys in 2022. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next episode of Demand Gen Radio. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 